My name is Rochelle, and I'm doing the Bible reading tonight. It is from 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 1 to 10. It should come up on the screen. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all you... Um, for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers, we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, and in spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom, we raise, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Father, thank you for the blessing of your word and church and fellowship, for the gift of your spirit and salvation in the Lord Jesus. And do we pray tonight that you might use all of that to speak with us, to draw near to us, to um, strengthen our relationship and closeness with you, that our walk with you might be very real and transformational. So Lord, speak to us, I pray through this portion of your word and I ask it for Jesus' sake. Everybody said? I don't often do this but tonight I'm going to. This is where we're going to end up. Um, it's about, there are about four or five application points by the time I get to the end of this passage and we'll just work through it pretty quickly um, because of time. But the bottom line is that um, God wants us to connect with others. Why? Because wrath is coming. Who does he want us to connect with? Well, the people you already, the people you know, the people you're already in some sort of relationship with, part of your network, the people who cross your path on a regular basis, the people who are on your contact list or in your phone or whatever, those people. People, but particularly the focus is people, those people who are outside the kingdom. And not just them, let's primarily them, but always to be open to the possibility that God might want to use you with people you haven't met yet. It could be on a bus, on a train, it could be a conversation in uh, the supermarket. We go to a butcher down at Browns Plains near where we live and uh, we go there all the time, every week, pre-regularly, and so we're getting to know them, they're getting to know us, and eventually we're getting to the conversation of, what do you do? I said, I pastor a Baptist church. Yeah, it killed that conversation. It did. They're very nervous now when I come into the shop. I'm sure they're frightened. I'm going to Bible bash them, I'm going to pin them, I'm going to say something religious to them or something so over Easter I asked the guy I said um, so how was Easter 
that's pretty non-threatening, isn't it? Um, and then last week I just asked him, how was your weekend? And so he just talks at those levels. I'm sure his pulse rate goes up every time I ask him those sorts of questions. But just being open to the possibility of uh, strangers. Well, this guy's moving beyond the point of someone I don't know and someone I'm getting to know. Um, but remember, as God sent Philip down to the Gaza Road and told him to wait there for the guy, the treasurer from Ethiopia, to come down, it's just a one-off conversation. And God might very well use you in situations like that. So God wants you to connect with others. Why? Because wrath is coming. Who? Those people. How? Well, these five quick ways. He wants you to pray. Pray for them. The people you know, pray for them by name. And pray specifically that God will be convicting them and drawing them to himself. There was a prayer meeting this afternoon for a combined meeting, a prayer meeting for praying for those who are yet to come to faith in the Lord Jesus. Pray for the unsaved. And you might want to join that group if you're available on Sunday afternoons. It's about once a month. So pray and be honest in your prayer. Pray that God would open their hearts. And just like the word came to the Thessalonians, that it came with deep conviction, it came with power and the Holy Spirit. They received God's word. So pray that. Secondly, make sure you're living a life with it which is authentic, that's real, that's fair income as a follower of the Lord Jesus. We're not perfect, but at least we can be honest that we are people who have found hope and forgiveness in the person of the Lord Jesus and that he has paid the penalty for our sin and we need to be authentic, we need to walk the walk, consistent, need to be real and consistent in the way we speak, the way we act and so on and when we mess up and we will, when we mess up that we deal with it appropriately, uh, that we are honest about it. So pray, live a consistent life but at some point also, we have to talk the talk. We have to share the gospel with people. We'll talk a little bit about that tonight. They have to hear. There is a time, the book of Ecclesiastes says, there is a time to speak. There's also a time to be silent. But there is a time to speak. And we need the Spirit's leading, prompting and assistance when it is that time to speak. What are you going to speak? Well, the gospel. Tell them your story. People are always interested in your story and particularly if they're people you know, they're friends of yours or acquaintances and if they can see the difference in your life then they're open to hearing what's going on in your life. But also you need to learn and know the gospel presentation for yourself, a way that is real for you, not just your story but a way that you can communicate that in a simple package, um, two ways to live or the bridge illustration or four laws or, or whatever it is, finding that way. Um, and you can expect opposition, not everybody's going to like it. Some people may very well reject you when they find out that you are a follower of the Lord Jesus, that they'll withdraw or draw back. But what you need to do, number five, is to love people, to pray often and to endure, to keep it up. Why? Because Jesus is coming and so is wrath. That's pretty much the application of where I want to get to tonight, so I'll come back to that. The book of Thessalonians finds us... Um, with the Apostle Paul having been there on a very short visit, three, four weeks, three Sabbaths, and he got kicked out of town. And, but there was a movement of the Spirit of God that God used him pretty remarkably and people transferred from being idol worshippers to being followers of Jesus. It was very quick, very sudden, very deep and very real. And Paul left town. And because he didn't have enough time to sort of disciple them, to invest in them, he's moved on and now he's sort of worried about them. 
And so either Timothy has been left behind or Timothy has been sent back and now Timothy has returned having found out the church has taken deep root. The church, these guys are sincere followers of the Lord Jesus. You can be greatly encouraged, Paul, that God has done something. They've got some issues. Some of them have quit work because they think Jesus is coming pretty quick. So why work? Let's go tell everybody. They had that problem. They had a few other uh, issues of because there was opposition and uh, deep affliction, there was also some people had died. So what happens to people who die before Jesus gets back? Do they get to go to be with him? And so Paul has to teach them about uh, more teaching on that, the resurrection and the second coming of Jesus. They had issues, but they were a strong, very young and dynamic church who, whose faith was real in verse 3. It was demonstrated in their life whose love and endurance could be observed. Um, they received God's word not just in the midst of opposition, but with great joy, it says. And Paul says in the midst of all of that, um, verse 5, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You know how real we were. You know that we weren't just charlatans looking to make money off you, to rip you off. We were fair income, we were genuine, we were consistent, character. Our conversation matched our character and that ultimately is the big test of how God will work through us. A holy person, a holy Christian is a mighty weapon in the hands of God to use in a sinful world. And then he goes on to talk about how their results is they had so embraced the truth of Jesus, their lives were changed by it and people were talking about them, but so were they talking. They were not just living a different life, but they're also talking about a different way of life. And the, the word had spread. Thessalonica is on this main road, the Ignatian Way, and it sort of divides the country in north and south and east and west. Traders and marketers and holiday makers, everybody else would come to the town. Jewish people particularly would see the transformation that had gone on and they would move on and they would be talking about what had gone on in Thessalonica. And it was incredible. I want us to notice the end of this passage with the Apostle Paul in talking about them and the report how the Lord's message had rung out from them, that's what God wants for us, for this church, for the message to ring out, for us to saturate our community with the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Um, he says, uh, we don't need to say anything when we go to these towns now to visit them, people are talking about you, they report what a kind reception you gave us, they tell us how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath that's a bit of an insight and an outline of what the apostle paul had said to them and what i want us to grab tonight is that same message because that will drive the application for us the risen jesus rescues people from the coming wrath people who believe in him and who turn to god that's the truth wrath is coming and it must come. God's judgment day is headed our way. It's not a popular idea and sometimes not even in evangelical Bible-believing churches. We're much more comfortable talking about God's love and His wonderful plans for our life, that He's a God of mercy and that's true. But it's also true to say that He is a God who is angry, He is a God who is just and He is a God who is obligated he will deal with the guilty, with the cruel, with the wicked, with the evil. God's coming wrath rests upon who he is. It's his character. It's not like our wrath. You ever gotten angry? I have. You ever gotten really angry? I have. You ever gotten angry where you lost control? 
nearly have. I've told you several different stories about me and times when I've gone very close. I have red hair and Irish background and so that's my excuse. I used to be a very angry young man. Now I'm just a grumpy old man. <laughs> it's one of the things that God has helped me get under control. It's not always under control, but it is more often than not. And God's wrath is not like that. Because when we lose anger, when control or whatever, it's often because we're frustrated or irritated by something and it's a sudden outburst. Uh, but God does not like that. God's is far more a settled resolution. Uh, that's wrong. And that has to be dealt with and I will deal with it. It's his response to evil, to wickedness. And it's in line with what he, uh, his absolute knowledge about our motives and about the circumstances we find our sins and so it's going to be appropriate judgment. He is a holy and just God and that's how we like it. We want justice. We want someone to deliver that which is right. You imagine a terrible situation um, I could have used that illustration of the guy in Africa who has kidnapped those hundreds of those schoolgirls and is going to sell them off and I don't have an update on the story of where that's up to but I got furious when I heard that. I just reacted to... I don't always react to the news like that but that one grabbed me and I just thought somebody should shoot him. That would be the appropriate response. It's not very loving. It's not very, you know, kind. It's not very merciful. No, but he's a flopping idiot and he should be removed because what he's done is wicked, it's outrageous. But imagine, so I won't use that illustration. I might get angry. A man breaks into a house, does terrible things, rapes your wife if you're married or your, and your daughter and takes your son and kidnaps him and he gets caught, gets taken to jail and the judge says to him, uh, taken to court and tried, and the judge says to him, you shouldn't have done that, now try not to do it again. Off you go. You'd be outraged, wouldn't you? You want justice. You want um, punishment to come down on the guilty. The judge would not be demonstrating righteousness nor justice. It's not fair. Nor is he being compassionate to the victims. So too with God. That's why deep down inside, we want God to be holy. We want God's justice. Not for us, but for the others the bad people you see and that's the problem the problem is we grade on the scale we think that we are decent that we're good neighbors that we pay our taxes we obey our law that yeah we have faults but we're not evil we're not like that bloke but the bible indicates that there are only in fact two sorts of people there are people in this world who have been rescued by jesus from god's wrath to come and there are people who haven't been just yet there are only those two groups of people the kingdom of the evil one, the kingdom of self, and there is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, people who follow Jesus, have been rescued by him from God's wrath to come. The other ones who haven't yet repented and accepted Jesus have not been rescued. They are still under God's wrath. And while you are still in that second category, you can compare yourself to one another, and they're not all as bad as each other or as one another. There are some nice, good, but under wrath people and you know them they're in your context they're your friends and neighbors and they're probably even part of your family but there are also people who are worse than that there are criminals and there are bad criminals and then there are wicked criminals and then there are just really nasty people 
And they're all in that same category. And God sent Jesus to rescue them. God's wrath is coming. And it's certain, it must come. The Bible is very clear that not everybody gets into heaven by good works. We think we do. Without the Bible, we think we get in because we're good, we're nice, we're kind, we have good intentions. What did Crocodile Dundee say? He said, uh, Jesus and me, we'd be mates. That's that sort of attitude. We fail to understand and appreciate how sinful we are. We tend to have a perception which is filtered through, oh, we're not as bad as them, so therefore I'm reasonable. And it's faulty thinking in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds. In our thoughts, Jesus said that if you get angry with somebody in your mind, you don't do anything about it, you've broken the command about you shall not murder. You get lust in your heart, desiring another person uh, sexually, then it's the same, not the same as, but it's you've crossed the line, you've broken the seventh commandment, adultery. Even in our words, we can be rude or cruel or critical or gossiping or malicious, attacking. In our deeds, we can do bad things, but we can even neglect to do good things, kind things. And we've done this before, but if you just assume that, let's assume you're an unusually good person and that you only chalk up one sin in thought, one sin in word and one sin in deed. Let's just do it on a monthly basis. Just once a month, I mess up in thought or in word, or indeed, the rest of the month, I'm scot-free, I have no sin. If they're not counting the first five years, let's give ourselves some grace until you hit school. And then by the 70 years later, by the time you're 75, you've racked up at least 840 sins. Imagine going before a judge, confessing that. I've broken the law 840 times, but I'm a lot better than others, so you should let me off. You see, that's only on that very minor basis. The reality is we sin thought, word, deed, on a daily basis and not once but a multitude of times we commit hundreds of thousands of sins millions probably over a lifetime that's why wrath is coming that's why it's deserved that's why it's certain it must come because we're all guilty justice and righteousness require judgment and accountability that's why jesus came that's why he died he didn't come to make our lives better he does, but that's not why he came. He came to rescue us from wrath. We are in danger. And for those he has not yet rescued, they are still in danger. And they must flee to Jesus. Wrath is coming, this passage reminds us, and it must come. And to be rescued, secondly, to be rescued from this wrath which is coming, people need to hear, they need to believe and they need to turn. That's what it says at the end. They need to hear the good news. They need to know about God, man, God. What if I do? What if I don't? There's a gospel outline for you. God, man, God. What if I do? What if I don't? God. God is the creator. He exists. He is real. He is the one who made us in his image. But we have rebelled against him. Man, that's what we've done. We've rejected God's rulership over us. And we've gone our own way. We want to do our own thing. We live in defiance of God. God's response to that? Sent Jesus. Because of his love and decision, he didn't want to just simply punish us. He sent Jesus to rescue us. What if I do? Well, if you accept Jesus, then you'll experience forgiveness. You'll experience a welcome into God's family. You'll experience 
uh, an inheritance and an adoption in him what if you don't well then you'll have to live with the consequences of a person who has rebelled against a god who sent someone to rescue them and you will bear those consequences which will be god's wrath there'll be separation from him and it'll involve suffering people need to hear the good news they need to hear there's a way back to god from the dark paths of sin there's a door that is open you can go in at the calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to jesus when you come confessing your sin people need to hear that your friends your contacts your acquaintances there is a time to speak and they need to hear that not only do people need to hear it they if they want to be rescued from the wrath they need to believe the good news hear it and understand it but they need to receive it believing it is not a leap in the dark hoping everything will turn out nor is it simply a mental assent to a series of facts and information believing it as it's used in the bible is based upon evidence reliable evidence data testimony because god is reliable therefore i can rely on him um, and it's not just assenting mentally to facts oh that's true it's rather because that's true it has a consequence in my life it involves a commitment there's a change when the bible uses the word believe that's what it's meant not simply accepting as true but accepting as true with the application the implications working its way out in my life i really don't have too much more time but blondin is the best illustration of that uh, a remarkable guy who true story uh, tightrope walker who walked from Ni across niagara falls canada to the u.s i think it was I don't know how far it was, 60 metres, long way, maybe further. There's all sorts of activities on it, but one day pushed a wheelbarrow across, one day carried a man across and all sorts of things. When he pushed the wheelbarrow across, he whipped the crowd up into a frenzy, I am Blondin, that was his stage name. Do you believe in me? We believe, we believe, we believe. Do you believe that I could put a man in this wheelbarrow and push him across? Absolutely, we believe. Who will be that man? You see, we believe, we give men. <laughs> was as willing to have a go. Um, I see that hand. Um, they give mental assent that I think you could, but the Bible believe is, and it will be me. I believe that's true for me, is the difference. I believe Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross, rose from the dead. I believe he died on Calvary's cross for me and rose from the dead. It's that personal engagement. That's what needs to happen. And only the Spirit of God can do that, which is why we need to pray that God will open hearts, help people to come to that point of truth. So people not only need to hear, they need to believe and commit, but they also need to turn, to turn from idols and to turn to God. And of course, idols are not simply stone statues of gods, it can be that. But it's also anything that replaces God in our life, that's an idol, it's self at the centre, it's sin could be career could be money could be happiness could be relation could be anything it's turning from that and not having that on the throne of your life of being the center of your life but rather having god at the center of having jesus on the throne of your life and when you do that your life changes and people will notice the change wrath is coming and it must and to be rescued from this coming wrath people need to hear the gospel they need to believe and commit to it and they need to turn from sin from self to god and finally this passage teaches us that those people who are rescued submit themselves to god and serve him and they wait for jesus to return 
They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Those who were rescued submit to God and serve him. He is now master, we are servant. Not in any bad sense, but in the best possible sense. He is a loving master. He gave his life to rescue us, so he always intends that which is the best for us. Hence, we serve him, not out of obligation, but out of love and gratitude, out of responsiveness to all that he has done for us. Serving him is a privilege. And to wait for his return. We await his return because we love him. We want him to come. But we also want him to come and to put a stop to all of the bad stuff that's going on and to establish his kingdom. And he will. For those who have not yet been rescued by Jesus, who continue to live for themselves now, and who refuse to focus upon the coming day of God's judgment, they are still under wrath. The Thessalonians heard that message, that God had pronounced wrath on this world system, that he had provided escape in the person of Jesus, the one who died and rose, that he was coming back either as their saviour or as their judge, but he was coming. They believed this message and their response was to abandon their idols and their independent living from God and they turned to God in submission to him to serve him and to be obedient to him that's what they did you've heard this message have you abandoned ship yet have you turned from your ways and cast yourself upon the Lord have you acknowledged him to be your Lord and Savior have you been changed by the gospel you're still on the way has your life been changed is there something you still need to turn from is there something you need to turn to God for, to rely upon Him for? They're good questions that come out of this passage. But the main application, because of our theme, God wants you to tell others this story. Why? He wants you to connect with others because wrath is coming. He wants to rescue them. Who does He want me to do that with? My network of friends, my contacts, my family. But He wants me to be open to others as well, that He might use me with a divine appointment, this one-off occasion, how do I do that? I pray and I ask God to pray for my friends, my family, my contacts, to pray for them by name and ask God to open their heart, help them to hear the gospel in a way that is real and deep and convicting, that I commit myself to living an authentic life, I turn from idols and self, I serve God and I'm done with sin and I try as best I can to be the person that he wants me to be asking for the infilling of his spirit there's a place to walk the walk but there is a time also to talk the talk so the time to speak it to be courageous and to give my story or to share the gospel god being god what if i do what if i don't or some other way i can expect opposition and affliction because not everybody will like it but jesus wants me to love people to pray often and to keep on to endure because he is coming and so is wrath let's pray together father we want to thank you for sending jesus to be our rescuer and for many of us we've been transferred from the kingdom of rebellion to the kingdom of submission and so for us, Lord, I pray tonight that you would help us to connect with others, 
for your honour and glory, that you would help us to pray for them, to live authentically before them, to speak up and to share the gospel with them as we get the opportunity and to love them and to endure, to keep on keeping on, preparing for the day because Jesus is coming. For those, Lord, who are here tonight who may even uh, still be in the camp that is still under wrath, that have not yet been rescued by Jesus, I ask, Lord, that you might convict them of sin, that you might open their eyes and their heart to see the truth as it is in you, that you might help them to believe and in believing to commit. I ask, Lord, for your mercy. Pray these things in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen.